Well, this is fun. <laughs> Man, it is great to pack all of our family into one room once in a while, just to remind ourselves of, uh, of who and what we are. And I felt like I was in a Chicago concert. I mean, that would be for people my age wouldn't know what I'm talking about. Man, that is just, that's just, that's just awesome. Thank you for being here for worship. We welcome you to the fall family blast at Chapel Hill over the decades. Uh, actually, 30, I'm starting 37 years today. Over the decades, we, we have called it all... We called it all kinds of things. We called it Back Home Sunday. We called it Super Sunday. We called it Welcome Home Sunday. Today it's, it's Family Blast, Fall Family Blast, and we hope that you have one as we kick off our exciting new program here at Chapel Hill. Of course, part of the fall rhythm is getting kids back. Kids, it's good to see you. Welcome today. Uh, are you going to go out and get your faces painted and you're going to do the bouncy house? Uh, maybe I'll join you in the bouncy house. Can I come and join you in the bouncy house? All right, I'll, I'll be out there. We'll bounce together. But part of our rhythm, of course, is, is uh, getting back into school. We are so excited that my son Cooper and his beautiful bride, Deb, have, uh, have enrolled our granddaughter, Cece. What's my nickname for Cece? Shushu. Shushu. My, my Shushu. She's going to be uh, in her first year of preschool here at uh, Chapel Hill. I have a hunch I'm going to find all kinds of reasons to leave my office and come downstairs just to check and make sure everything's going on okay down there during the year. We love kids at Chapel Hill. We have always loved kids at Chapel Hill. It's part of our DNA. We want them to thrive and grow. We want to help parents fulfill their baptismal vows. And this morning in our text, we're going to be reminded one of the reasons that we love kids. Kids matter to us because kids mattered to Jesus. At a time and in a culture when children were really considered something of an annoyance to be kept out and out of the way, Jesus welcomed kids. He loved and treasured them. In fact, kids, I want you to be ready because later on in my sermon, I want you to come up. You're going to help me with part of the sermon. So I need to know how many are going to be ready to run up here at the right time. Kids, how many will come up here and join? Not yet, but in a second. So I'm going to be counting on you. Not yet. So we're going to continue in our journey through the Gospel of, of Luke, and this morning we come to two episodes in Jesus' teaching ministry. One of this episodes, one of his teachings, a parable, uh, has to do about a prayer, and one of them has to do about kids. And both of these stories illustrate something that is unique about Christianity. I want you to put on your theological hats here and see if you can figure out what these two different texts what they have in common. And listen as I read through them. See if you can discern the theological theme that ties both of them together. So we're turning to Luke chapter 18. And we're going to start in verse 9. If you have your Bibles or your apps open. Luke chapter 18 verse 9. Here we go. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for such to such belongs the kingdom of God. And truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This is the word of the Lord. So did you see a common theme that tied these two stories together? A doctrine that is unique to Christianity? Let's, let's take a closer look. Jesus starts off with a parable. And Luke introduces the parable by telling us who Jesus intended audience was going to be. Who Jesus is telling this parable to. And it is not flattering. Did you hear it? Verse 9 he says, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. One translation said they looked down their nose at others. How'd you like to be introduced in that way? We don't exactly know who Jesus was talking to, but we have a pretty good idea. Because who's the first guy to appear in the parable that follows? Who's the first character? The Pharisee. Pharisee. Luke mentions Pharisees in his Gospels 25 times. 25 times. There were other Jewish religious groups, but Luke never mentions them anywhere like the number of times he mentions the Pharisees because this was the group that was wholly devoted to the destruction of Jesus, the Pharisees. One ancient Jewish historian, a guy named Josephus, some of you have probably heard the name Josephus, he described the Pharisees this way. He said they are a class of Jews who consider themselves the godliest of the nation, and the most rigorous followers of the law. And that self-righteousness shines in this story, doesn't it? We are told that a Pharisee goes to the temple. He's going to pray. And we are told that he stood off by himself. Did you see that? So this is what it would have looked like. He would have had his head up into the air. He would have had his eyes looking up into the heavens. His arms would be raised. And that was how he prayed. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolem. That's how he would pray. And, it, we, and we are also told that he stood off by himself. Why is that? Because he didn't want to be contaminated. He, if, he, if he was in contact with any of those other people that were in the temple, it would contaminate him ritually. This is what they believed. Pharisees believed that if they were touched by an unclean person, a sinner, a tax collector, or, and ladies, you're going to love this, a woman... They were ceremonially unclean. And so off to the side he stands dramatically where everyone is going to see him and he presents his credentials to God. A list of why he is so spectacularly religious. 
Kids, I want you to help me figure out what an ego this guy has by listening and counting with me how many times this guy in his prayer uses the word I, okay? So here we go. I want you to count how many times do we hear the word I. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. How many times, kids? Five times. Five times. This guy has got such an ego. He wants to show off to everyone who's listening, and he's sure hoping that people are listening. He wants to show off, and especially to God, just how super religious he is. Jews were required to fast a couple of times a year. How often does this guy fast? Twice a week, he says. Makes a big woo-hoo! And he makes a big thing about all the money he gives away, how generous he is. And to have me on your side. Look how righteous I am. Not like robbers or crooks or cheaters. And especially not like this tax collector. And he points... In his prayer, he points out another guy who was also in the temple to pray. He was a tax collector. Tax collectors were the scum of the Jewish earth. They were considered traitors. They collected revenue for Rome, and they made their fortunes by cheating their fellow Jews, charging them more than Rome required, and then they would keep all the rest for themselves. Except for lepers, there was no one who was more despised in Jewish culture than a tax collector. And this tax collector had the audacity to show up at the temple to pray. And just in case God hadn't noticed him, the Pharisee decides to point him out to God and to everyone else who was within earshot of his shaming prayer. God, aren't you glad that I am so much holier than this tax collector? And now the spotlight swings over to this poor, wretched man. He is standing alone too, but for different reasons. No one wants to be near him. And he is so ashamed he doesn't want anyone near him. He's already unclean. He knows that he doesn't belong in church. He knows he's not worthy, certainly not compared to a, a religious celebrity like that Pharisee was. And so while the Pharisee looks up at God with pride, the tax collector stares at the ground in humiliation. While the Pharisee lifts his hands in prayer, the tax collector does this. Kids, do this. Do this. This, this was a sign of repentance. It was a sign of humiliation, a sign of shame. It was like he was trying to beat the sin out of himself. The Pharisee's prayer starts, God, I. And the tax collector's prayer starts, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Pharisee reminds God of all of his wonderful attributes for which he ought to be blessed. The tax collector begs for mercy because he doesn't deserve a thing from God. In fact, the phrase in the Greek is not a sinner, but the sinner. The sinner. God be merciful, the sinner, he says. In other words, I am the worst of all sinners, he said. I am completely unworthy of your love. As one commentator put it, two men went to pray, but only one prayed. The other one performed. 
It's not a very flattering picture of the Pharisee, is it? And can you imagine what the Pharisees who were listening to Jesus' parable were feeling like right now? How the spotlight had turned on them. They were getting hot under the collar. And then comes Jesus' brutal punchline when he says, I tell you this, this tax collector went to his home made right with God rather than the other guy, the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So I asked you a question earlier. What is the quintessential Christian doctrine that we find here? And we're going to find it in the next story as well. And this is where I need the kids to come up. So if you would, come up over here to these stairs. Kids, come on up. And you two guys right there, you grab that, you grab that thing right there. Come on, kids, come on up here. And you stand right here behind me, guys. All right, and kids, let's sit down, except for the two guys. You guys are right here. You guys, come on, come on. You, everyone else can sit down here around me. Oh, what a group. This is awesome. We're never going to get you back. You, your parents are going to lose you. Come on up. Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You can sit right here on the floor. It's okay. Hey, Ezra, good to see you, buddy. Oh, it is so good to see you. All right, I got a question for you. First of all, what is this? Anyone know? Tell me. Stop. 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 What's it for? What's this sign for? To stop your car. To stop your car, right? So you, you'll be safe, so you don't go through the intersection, right? So remember that. These guys are going to hold this. Now, I want you to hold that stop sign face down for a second. Turn it down. 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 There we go. And when I tell you, raise it back up. All right. Here's what's going on. Moms and dads, moms and dads were bringing their kids to Jesus. And did you notice what they wanted him to do by any chance? Did anyone notice? It said that they wanted him to touch them. What does that mean? This is what they meant. He wanted him to do this. He wanted him to do this. Every parent wanted Jesus to touch their kids on the head. I can't touch all of you. I don't have an arm enough, long enough arms, but I'm touching you, touching you. Now, why, why don't you touch each other on the head? We'll, we'll, all right, there we go. There we go. What? Now, what do you think? What is Jesus doing when he's touching them on the head? Do you know? He was, he was yes, he was, who said that? Good job. He was blessing them. He was telling them how much God loved them, how special they were, how much, how, how, how precious they were to him. Isn't that a, a cool thing to hear? My, uh, my wife, Cindy, raise your hand, Cindy, right over there. There she is. Uh, she, she has a blessing that she uh, shares with my granddaughter. I call her Shushu. Her name is Cecilia, but I, I call her Shushu. And she has a blessing, and every time she sees uh, Shushu, she says, you are kind, you are smart, you are important, and you are loved. Can you say that with me? You are kind, you are smart, you are important, and you are loved. So she'll touch her on their head and say, you are kind, you are smart, you are important, you are loved. Thank you for blessing me. <laughs> the other day, Cindy was, Cindy, thank you. <laughs> the other day, Cindy was in the kitchen and Cece came running in. She said, Nana, 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 you are kind, you are smart. You are important. You are loved. 
isn't great. And you know what? That's what Jesus was saying to those kids. You are precious. You are loved. You are beloved. Do you know that every one of you is that? That God loves every one of you that way. You are kind. You are smart. You are important. You are loved and so many other things. Don't you think that would be worth having Jesus say to your kid? Wouldn't you want to have Jesus say that? Well, what, what happened? When they, when they tried to get, oh, when they tried to get up to, to Jesus, guess what happened? The disciples said, stop! That's what the disciples said. Don't you bring those kids up here. Jesus doesn't have time for kids. It's, he's too busy. He's way too important. Don't waste his time. They said, stop, stop. Isn't that, isn't that awful? Say, stop, stop. That's, that's, what, that's what the disciples were saying. That's, I have a, a friend who's got grandchildren. And the grandchildren's parents don't bring them to church. And my friend said, why would, every time he reads this story, he said, why would my kids not want to bring their children to Jesus? Why would my kids not want to introduce them to the love of Jesus? Is there anything more important? It's a great, great question that he asked. And certainly a question that must have been going through the parents' minds. So, their parents are trying to bring the kids. Jesus says, uh, the, the disciples say, no, what do you think Jesus says? Jesus says stop, but who does Jesus say stop to? He says it to the, to the disciples. That's exactly right. He says, don't you dare keep those kids away from me. You let them come because they matter to me. In fact, he said, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. You know what he was saying there? He said, not only are kids a part of God's family, kids own God's family. That's how important you guys are. You're not just part of it. He said, you own the family of God. That's how precious and important you are. Isn't that cool to know that Jesus loved you that way? Well, that is the, the, the truth. You are wonderful, loved, beloved, owners of the kingdom of God. So take that back to your parents and tell them, all right? Good job. Thank you. Go ahead on back to your mom and dad. Good job, guys. You can take that down there. Just as fun as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> All right, while the kids are returning, I'm going to return us, adults, I want to return us back to the question that I asked originally. What is the quintessential Christian principle that we see illustrated in this parable and in this story? Any guesses on what it would be? It's the supremely Christian doctrine. Any guesses? Well, I heard it. Grace. Exactly right. Say grace. grace. Say grace again. Grace. It's the uniquely Christian doctrine. No other religion in the world celebrates grace. Only Christianity. So what is grace? It's a very churchy word, isn't it? What does it mean? Here's the Bible's definition. Grace is undeserved favor. Say that. Undeserved. It's God's undeserved favor favor. He gives it to us. He pours it out on us. His kindness, His blessing, His goodness, and we do absolutely nothing to deserve it. Grace is not mercy. Mercy is important, but it's, grace is more than mercy. In the story today, the tax collector begged for mercy, didn't he? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. It's not getting the punishment that we deserve, but grace is more than that. Grace is receiving kindness that you don't deserve. So kids, here we go. If mom says, here's the cookie jar in the kitchen, it is off 
limits. Unless I take the lid off and give you the cookie, it is off limits. And if you sneak a cookie, you're in trouble. I am going to punish you. Now, kids, let's suppose you snuck in there anyhow. While she wasn't looking, and you pulled off the lid, and you reach in, and you got a cookie, and you turn around. Oh, there she is. What would mercy be if, you, if your mom caught you? What would mercy be? Not punishing you, right? Mercy it would be if she decided not to punish you after all. That would be mercy. It would also be horrible parenting. <laughs> horrible parenting. It's why we have craziness today, because we don't have better parenting than that. But I know every parent here would not do that. So that would, but what would grace look like? Here's another cookie. Here's another cookie. A completely undeserved favor. That is the blessing. That is grace. And that is what Jesus raised up in this first story. It wasn't the self-congratulating Pharisee who returned to his home at peace with God. It was the undeserving, sinful, humiliated tax collector who couldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven. God not only had mercy on him, God graced him. He forgave him. He received him. He made him one of his own. That's what it means when it says that the tax collector went down to his home justified. That, that means that he had a new, fresh, start-over relationship with God. Did he deserve it? Did he deserve it? No! He did not deserve it. Why did he get it? God's grace. That's why. God's grace is on display in the next story, the one we just talked about up here. We sometimes think that Jesus bragged on kids because they were more trusting or more honest or more genuine or more unaffected in their prayers. And, and of course, I think all of those things are true. But I want you to notice something really interesting about this story. The word that was used to describe the children that were brought by Jesus, to Jesus by their parents, in the Greek, the word is infants. Infants. It's the same word for newborns. In fact, it's the Greek word for the unborn. And infants don't bring a lot to the table. I mean, they bring, you know, slobbery noses, they bring poopy diapers, they, they don't bring much more to the table. So they weren't humble, they weren't trusting, they were helpless. They're humble, helpless. They were considered by their culture not to be anything, and yet Jesus welcomes them. That's the ultimate illustration of the grace of God, that God loves and blesses and claims as his own, even helpless children. It's why we baptize babies. I'm going to baptize one later on in the service. Be and, and young children too, because God's grace always comes first. God's grace always comes first in every one of our cases. We think we turned our hearts to God first. Mm -mm. God's grace led out. It was God's grace who reached out to us before we even thought a thing about Him. And this is the uniquely Christian doctrine, grace. Remember that. Not love, other, teach, other religions teach love, not truth, other religions talk about truth. Grace, only Christianity talks about grace. Every other religion in the world is a works righteousness religion. If you work hard enough to please God, if you work to store up spiritual brownie points for yourself, if you check off all check of the list, two. then maybe God will be nice to you. Maybe you'll go to heaven. But you can't be sure because you're never sure whether your good stuff outweighs your bad stuff. And Christianity is just the opposite. 
We heard this wonderful promise from the Apostle Paul that we read earlier in this, in this service where he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not because of your works, lest anyone should be able to brag about it. The doctrine of grace says that God, out of his love and goodness, decided to save us through the gift of his son Jesus. Not because we deserved it, not because we earned it, but out of his boundless love for us. And if you have never heard this message before, and it could be there are some who are sitting here, you've heard it, but you've never heard it before. This was going to be like shackles coming off your soul. To realize that all you need to do is to accept the free gift of God's grace to be welcomed into His family. That is an amazing Bible truth. And it is the truth. This passage is both a warning and an encouragement. First of all, it's a warning to religious people. And I'm one of them. I am the chief religious person around here. But it's a warning to me and to all of us. It is a warning to us never to raise our eyes in pride to the Lord. Never to think that we can impress Him. Never to think how lucky He is to have us on His team. Sometimes we who have been Christians for a while, we forget that when we first came to God, our eyes were down too, just like the tax collectors. Our hopes were down. Our heart was down. Our, our opportunities were down. It was Jesus who lifted us up, 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 and up. And the only reason that we can now raise our eyes to God in worship is because Jesus has done this for us. And it is all by His grace. We religious types can never, never, never Never, never forget how much God loves broken, irreligious people. And we live in a culture where they are plenty on display right now, and God loves them deeply. May there always be a place in this church, always be a place in our pews where we do not save seats, right? Always be a place next to us for those who have yet to discover God's amazing grace. But this passage is also an encouragement, isn't it? If you think all along, and there's so many Christians who still think this way, if you think that you, that you have to impress God, that you have to earn God's love, what a, a relief of encouragement this story is going to be. To realize that God welcomes you just the way you are. Just the way you are, God welcomes you into his family. Now, don't worry. He's not going to leave you like that. He loves you too much to leave you like that. His Holy Spirit will go to work inside of you and begin to change you from day one. But by God's grace, you are welcome, welcome, welcome into God's family just the way you are. Perhaps this day will be a start of a new journey of faith and hope for you. It's certainly going to be that for that group of people. Folks that are going to be baptized in a moment. And that, that is the meaning of baptism. These waters remind us that whatever we have done, God has forgiven it because of Jesus. And he's washed it away and made us clean and made us co-owners, part owners of his kingdom, his family. How incredible is that? How amazing is that? God's amazing grace. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the encouragement of these stories and this, this story and this parable. Thank you that we who don't consider ourselves very religious, there's still a place for us. 
Thank you that you welcome us just as we are. We know, Lord, that you don't keep us there. You grow us. You turn us more and more into uh, the likeness of yourself. But we're so grateful, God, that you, you welcome us with grace. What a wonderful word. What a wonderful doctrine. What a wonderful promise, the grace of God. And so, Lord, this day, as there are many gathered here, I pray for the, the religious folks who can kind of look down their nose sometimes at the less religious people. God, spare us from being snooty. Save us from being like the Pharisees who looked with contempt on those who were not up to snuff. Spare us from that, God. Save us from that. And then, God, for those who, who don't think themselves worthy, who look at this life that they're living and say, God can't possibly love me. I pray that this, this story would remind them that couldn't be further from the truth that he loves them deeply. You love them deeply, and you'll welcome them into your family. May you be present now as we welcome some new folks into your family. As we baptize them, would you uh, be present in the power of your Holy Spirit? For we ask it in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. 
Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.
glad that you didn't miss this this morning. I am glad you were here. Next week, we're going to continue in our journey through Luke. I'm going to be preaching on a topic I've never preached on before. Grit. Grit. You'll have to look at the first part of Luke 18 and see if you can figure that out. I hope you'll be back and join us. But before I wrap up today, I, I have an ask, what I hope is a Holy Spirit asked. Earlier when we were talking about Jesus' heart towards kids, he said, let them come, let them come, let them come. Why would you do anything to hinder kids coming to Jesus and all of you were nodding your heads vigorously all of you men were nodding your heads vigorously now here's an opportunity to put your money where your nods are we have already 85 to 90 middle school kids coming they the kids are already coming we don't have enough men to provide leadership to provide small group leaders for all of the young teenage boys who want to be followers of Jesus. We need five more men, dads, grandpas, I don't care, whoever is being stirred by the Spirit, we need five guys who would step up and say, I'm, I'm going to be one of those that's going to help children come to know Jesus. So if you are that person, if God is stirring your heart, I'm going to make this easy. You reach out to me. You reach out to me and I'll connect you with the right person. I'm not going to give you any excuse for, who was it he said? Me. Reach out to me, you five guys that the Lord is prompting. And even if you don't feel like you've got the skills or the gifts, we'll train you, we'll equip you. What we need is people who love Jesus and love kids and want to see them come to Jesus, okay? So I'm going to be waiting to hear from you. You can walk up to me right after this service if you would love to. And I hope you'll have a chance because you're going to go out and enjoy this wonderful fall family blast. So much fun out there. You don't want to leave before you partake of that. But before we go, we've, all, we've already had a big dose of the Holy Spirit, but let's get a little more as we raise our hands. The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his perfect peace both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, Amen.